For the majority of us, uh, Jim Newsom needs no introduction, but for some of us he does. Um, I met Jim 20-plus years ago. First time I heard Jim speak, he was speaking at a banquet for Discovery Family Ministries, which was uh, Brother Gary Browning, who obviously is now in heaven. And uh, not long after that, Brother Jim began coming to Abundant Life Church at our invitation and has at least once a year ever since and sometimes twice a year. Um, and Jim's become a friend, a friend of myself and my wife and friend of the congregation. And we look forward to him coming each each time that he can come through here. Jim just finished, is just finishing up, he may mention it, but he's just finishing up uh, a, almost a week-long crusade time in some prisons in Alabama. And that's very draining. Uh, I, one one of those days is draining to do several of them, especially at his age. I mean, my goodness. Uh, Jim and I share a pastor, Brother Charles Simpson, and and uh, so that I tell people all the time we have sister churches all over the country and all over the world. We have no legal agreements with anybody. There's no paperwork anywhere that joins us together, but it's relationships and covenant. That makes us, and Jim's a part of a sister church in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, that we consider one of our, our network, in our network of relationships. Uh, so, uh, Jim's got a great testimony. He gave a great testimony yesterday morning for the men over at Panera Bread. Um, you probably won't get his testimony today unless he mixes it in, but you can go to, is, is the website working? Um, not really. Okay, never mind that idea. Um, but you, you can go to his Facebook page. He's got a lot of good resources there. Uh, but Jim's one of the finest Bible teachers I've ever sat under, and you'll, you'll agree the same. And, and uh, so let's welcome the man of God. I'm going to pray for him when he comes. Come on, Jim. Lord Jesus, I pray for your servant, Jim Newsom, and I pray today that you'd pour out your spirit in abundance upon him and you would pour out an anointing upon him to expound upon your word and to deliver a word to us that will land in each one of our hearts. And I pray that you'd fill his mouth with the words from the king, from the throne of God that serves the king. I pray in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Thank you, Pastor Larry. Well, good morning <clears throat> at my age. I'm 72, so so uh, I guess I, you can say that at my age, and uh, I'm older than Larry. And uh, I've been doing this prison crusade down in Atmore, Alabama <clears throat> since 1986, so this was my 37th year. And uh, about 400 volunteers come from around the country, and... Uh, I do. The, I train them in the morning, and then they break up into teams, and uh, <clears throat> of fifteen to twenty, and then they go into the prisons at eleven o'clock, and they eat with the uh, inmates. Uh, they uh, uh, go where they play, go where they live, and their job is to make friends and invite them to the nightly meetings. Hey, Billy Ball. That's my brother from another mother, and uh, yeah, we have we're twins, is what it is. We we, but anyway, so uh, 
nightly meetings where there will be a speaker and a worship team at each one of the prisons. And prior to COVID, we were in 27 different prisons during that week. Now, obviously, I can only go into four of them. I'm there uh, nightly and then uh, <clears throat> for Monday through Thursday night. But uh, uh, <clears throat> and uh, it, it's an amazing thing. So, so 2020 was the last time they had it. This year was the first time they've had it back since since COVID, and uh, it was smaller. Because COVID is still affecting the prisons, and not only was I in prisons, and uh, I was in two prisons in Alabama, and I was in two prisons in Florida. My highlight of the week, though, <clears throat> is that I uh, was able to go on death row in Holman, Alabama, and my first time ever on death row, and and so they took me back there, <clears throat> and um, I started. It lo- really looks like a prison that you would see on a movie, three tiers. And uh, so I was going around seeing if anybody would talk to me through their little uh, whole, uh, place where they give them the food. And so I did that for about 20, 30 minutes, invited some of them to the service that we were going to hold in the law library. And I wasn't ready for this. You know, I went down and sat down because we're about 10 minutes from where the service, and all of a sudden, all the doors opened. And all 25 of the 100, uh, all 25 of the death row inmates came flooding out their doors and coming down to where I was at. How many of you think that would be a little unsettling? You know, I didn't know what to do. You know, I'm just, they're all right there and, uh, they ignored me and, uh, except for the ones that I had talked to. And then, uh, only 13 of the 125 came to the service. We had 12 volunteers, a music group, and, uh, they came, but it was probably the most powerful anointing time that I had. And, uh, I shared on, how God delivered me from two death sentences. Number one, an eternal death sentence. And then number two, a physical death sentence when God healed me from hepatitis C. And I was able, after the service, lead three of them to the Lord. And I want to tell you, and I'm, and I'm going to talk to you about, about this a little bit more, you know, that uh, the joy that happened in that moment when these three men accepted the Lord, you know, it just was over, overwhelming. I mean, everybody got in on it. The, uh, I believe the other uh, nine were already saved, but they were so excited that these three guys, you know, the Bible says, you know, there's more joy in heaven. Yeah, over one when one sinner repents, and so it was. A, it was a great time. Now I do have a dilemma. I prepared a great message for this morning. Spent a lot of time on it. Got quotes, you know, from different people. And then I, when I got up this morning to go over my notes, I realized two weeks ago I left them in my office. And so I was going to do a different message this morning. You know. Ones that I have notes for. Uh, but, you know, how many of you realize God can be difficult? 
I mean, he, he can. He said, well, son, I, I told you this is the message I want you to preach. And I said, well, Lord, I, I don't have any notes for it. He goes, not my problem. <laughs> and so, so, so I... I said, well, all right, well, it's a problem for me. And so I uh, started going over this notes of a message I did here years ago and uh, one that would make me look good and, and impress you. But, you know, a while back, the Lord told me, he said, son, don't impress people, just impact them. I don't want to be known as a minister that preaches good messages. I want to be known as a preacher who preaches messages that produces good in the hearers of the people who hear them, that they change your life, they impact you in a certain way. So from my memory, and all my messages come out of my life anyway, so I have, I I know what the outline is, I just don't have all the, I had six pages of notes. And this is all I got this morning, and <laughs> I hope not. And uh, but anyway, so uh, Larry mentioned that uh, I attend a church that is a sister church. You probably have heard my pastor here on a couple occasions, Pastor Tim Parrish. Excellent, excellent Bible teacher. And uh, <clears throat> so this year, he and the elders. I always pray about what would be the theme for the year. What would be the goal that they they want our church, New Life Church, to start shooting for. And so it came down to one word. And he preached it on, you know, the first Sunday in January, which had to be January 1st. And the word is simply sent. S-E-N-T. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John 20. John 20 and verse 21. This is before Jesus is about to go to heaven, and he's saying something to his disciples. He says in verse 21, So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. And then here is our theme scripture for, for New Life Church. He says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now, I want you, I am a firm believer that God saves us in order to send us. Say that with me. God saves us in order to send us. I believe everything that comes to us from God primarily is designed to go out from us to other people. Uh, secondarily, it blesses us. But more than that, it equips us and empowers us to become an agent of change for other people. It's always sad when I find that so many Christians, they have a river flowing in of the life of God, but they never have a river flowing out to give that same life to the, all the people that are around them. And so God saves us in order to send us. Now I'm going to give you my outline, because that's all I have here, and, and some scriptures. And so I don't know how long it will take me, but 
I have two different outlines. And so if, if you want to put on the CD, you can put on it pursuing, paying, and partying. Jesus pursued sinners. Then on the cross, he paid the cost for sinners. And then when he got to heaven, he started partying with sinners. Uh, another aspect, and I'm always like, uh, this one is obeying the command to go. So it's an O and a C. Then owning the cost of going, which will then open up to us the celebration that happens in heaven as a result of all of us going. So I want you to turn to Matthew, the ninth chapter. While you turn there, I want to tell you a personal story. <clears throat> Matthew 9, starting with verse 35. Matthew 9. I'll repeat myself when I'm trying to think. But anyway, as most of you know, I got saved one night, and the next morning I turned myself in for a crime that I had committed two nights before. I confessed to my crime. They charged me with second-degree murder, and I, I pled guilty to it because I was, and I received the maximum sentence allowed by law at that time, which was 30 years. And I spent the next eight years... <coughs> My life in prison then was paroled after eight years and stayed on parole for another 10 years until 1990. But when I was in prison, because God had saved me, I was, and I was in the most violent prison in the state of Florida. There wasn't anyone more violent than this one. We had two classes of people, predators and prey. Except for the Christians. And so I decided <clears throat> that I wanted to become a world changer. I wanted to be God to use me in such a way as I would be able to bring about change in that world. So I was reading my Bible. I was carrying my Bible. <clears throat> and there was this one particular guy. He was a white guy. His name is Larry McFarland who was the biggest drug dealer. Yes, there is drugs in prison. Uh, don't ask me how they get them all in. I could spend hours telling you how they get them in, but I won't. <clears throat> and he was very, uh, he was in prison for his uh, attempt to first degree murder upon a police officer. He was very big. He was very mean. And he especially took a disliking to me. He uh, got angry because I walked around carrying my Bible. He made fun of me on a daily basis. And uh, <clears throat> my only reprieve from him is because of his bad character. Probably once every three months, they would throw him in the hole or the inner jail for 30 days. And I was always glad when they sent them to the hole for 30 days because I got some reprieve from his trying to humiliate me on a daily basis. And so, and I did not like him. You know, I, I asked God one time to bless him with a brick right in his head. And 
I felt no, I felt no love for him to change or any of that. But one of the times he was in the hole, uh, he somehow started reading the Bible that they put in there. And so he came out of the hole and he lived in the same wing that I did. And I saw him thinking, oh, no, here he comes again. All right, what am I going to do? And he came walking over. I'll, I'll make a long story short. But he came over and he says, hey, are you a Christian? And I, and I said, Larry, you know I'm a Christian. And he said, well, I got saved when I was in a hole, and I want, I want, a, I want a fellowship with somebody. And uh, so I won't go into all of the things. There's a lot of lessons I learned in trying to love Larry. But Larry became one of my best friends. In fact, he was one of my ushers at my wedding years later when I got out of the prison. And, uh, and though I didn't lead him to the Lord, I discipled him. And uh, we were living in a place where it's kind of like a barracks, you know. You got 70 in each wing, bunk after bunk. It's very, very hard living. But at the time, they were building two more uh, dormitories that had single rooms. And there was probably only a handful, probably about 80 rooms available. And it... Gave a lot of perks in that you could lock your door at night. You didn't have to, you didn't have to worry about it. And <clears throat> you had your own shower and, uh, uh, it was quiet. I mean, I, uh, I, I learned to sleep with so much noise around. And, uh, in fact, when I first got into E-Dorm, I, was, I thought about paying somebody to come outside my door and start cussing and yelling and screaming until I fell asleep, you know, because I couldn't fall asleep in the quiet. But anyway, both Larry and I put our put in for these rooms. And because God had given me favor with the warden, I got a room and Larry didn't. And Larry had been in prison probably five years before I got there. And I loved Larry. And I could not enjoy this blessing knowing that he was still over in C-Dorm, uh, you know, dealing with the daily harassment that happens over there. I mean, I just could not. So I came to a place where I went up to the warden and I asked the warden to give my room to Larry. I would much rather him be in this kind of comfort and this kind of peace and this kind of security, and I would deal with that. I was willing to pay a price for Larry so he can be where I was. Now, the warden was so impressed by that that number one, he said, no, your room is your room, but I will make a room available for Larry. Now, I said all that to say, my first point is, is obeying the command to go. One of the things we have to ask ourselves, what motivated Jesus to leave heaven with all its glory? 
I mean, I mean, all of you are saying things that are true. Yeah, but he's sitting up there. He's got comfort. He's got power. He's got glory. But he's sitting there realizing that, you know, though not, though everybody is not God's by redemption, everybody is God's by creation. He created every one of us. And I believe Jesus, probably way more than I'm to think, could not enjoy being in glory, knowing that creation was going to end up in torment and in hell. You know, and he was willing, because he says the Father sent him, and the Father said, well, who am I going to send? And Jesus says, send me. And so I'll go down there. The only way I'm going to be able to get these people into my heaven is if I'm willing to go into their hell. And so he could not enjoy eternity knowing that all of us, if he didn't come, we wouldn't be able to be there with him. So he obeyed the command to go. And uh, John 9.35 says this, And Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, the kingdom, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. Now, I just want to quickly show you progression here. It says Jesus was going. And because he was going, he started seeing. And because he started seeing, he started feeling. And because he started feeling, he started realizing we need more workers out here. Now, a lot of Christians, and I hope it's not true where you're concerned, uh, a lot of us want to see and feel before we go. We want to see something, we want to feel something, and if we do, and then we'll go. And God says, no, it doesn't work like that. He says, you go because I told you to go. You go out and reach out to people, and I promise you, though, if you go, you'll see them different than you've ever seen the lost before. You'll see them in a way that I see them. You'll see the precious in the midst of the worthless. You will see the treasures that are hidden in darkness. He said, but you got to go. Going engages seeing. Say that with me. Going engages seeing. And once you see the condition of people, I mean, really see it, you'll be moved with compassion. Compassion is probably one of the strongest emotions that we humans can experience. Compassion will get us out of the pew and out into the field. Compassion will get us being willing to do whatever is necessary in order to bring about a different outcome for the people that we have.
compassion for. Compassion will motivate us to spend money, spend our lives, do whatever. But you don't get the compassion unless you see, and you don't see unless you go. Uh, one of the team leaders this week, <clears throat> his name is James Smoker, before I got up to speak, he he came down to We Care 12 years ago, and I shared on Matthew 9. And up until that time, he was a nominal Christian, but he was challenged by the fact, because he didn't see anything, he didn't feel anything the whole week that he was there, but God says, I want you to go down, and I want you, <clears throat> you know, and volunteer down in Alabama. He moved his whole family down there, still not seeing anything, not feeling anything, came down there, started ministering, and his whole life changed. Because going engages seeing, seeing engages feeling. So Jesus pursued sinners. In Luke uh, 10, 13, he says, this, he says, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. And in 2021, my pastor did a message at the beginning of the year. And uh, it was an excellent, excellent message. And the gist of it was, is that Jesus not only died for us, he died as us. How many of you can celebrate that? So, and he did a masterful job on it. I'm sitting there with my wife. I'm crying, realizing just what he has done on my behalf. And in the midst of my tears, I heard the still small voice of the Lord say to me, Son, do you know why I did that? You know, and you don't want to try to give it God an answer. Because he's about, when he asks you a question, he's not seeking information. <laughs> and he's going to let you know if you just be quiet. It'd be stupid of me to give some kind of answer. He's going, nope. So as I'm sitting there thinking, no, Lord, I don't know why. I, 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 the Spirit, the Lord said to me, he says, because now, as a result of that, so that you can now live for me, and you can live as me. That is the natural progression of realizing he died for me and he died as me so that I can now start living for him. It's what Second Corinthians 5.15 says, that we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him and that we are to start living as him, as First John 4, verse 17 says, as he was in the world, so are we. What he did, we can do, and he says we can do even greater things because he went to the Father. So <clears throat> he started going, and I. how many of you have a, a feeling that time's getting short? Now, what goes off in me is, is more of an urgency so that those people that don't know Jesus will begin to know him. And so Jesus was going. And then he owned the cost. And here's the thing. In, in, in ministering, it's going to cost you. 
It costs me time, it costs me money, it costs me energy, it costs sometimes my health and going. And so there is a lot of cost. But what keeps me going is that I never consider what it's going to cost me to go. That is never in the equation. If it ever was, I'd find a lot of reasons not to go. I just would. So I don't consider what it costs me. I consider what it will cost people if I don't go. And who pays the greater cost? Let's turn to Romans 9. I'm just going to go to a couple more scriptures. Romans, the ninth chapter. How many of you realize hell is a very real place? We like to think about heaven, and I'm grateful for that, but hell is a very real place. Like his Lord, Paul was motivated to pay whatever the cost was in order to go. And if you read Second Corinthians 11, all the things he had to go through, I believe everywhere Paul went, two things happened, both revival and riot. He made a lot of people glad and he made a lot of people mad. And I want you to know, when you go, you're going to have those two, two responses. It says in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 9, Paul says, a, a wide effective door of service has been opened to me, but there are many adversaries. You can't separate the door of opportunity from the opposition that'll come. It's a package deal. How I many you know f- following Jesus and trying to be like him isn't for the faint-hearted? <laughs> it definitely isn't. I've been trying to be more like Jesus this past year, and I found out two things about myself in it. Number one, I don't fear the Lord as much as I should. And number two, I am more prideful than I thought. And I take great pride in my humility. (laughs) I'm serious. And so... Wanting to be like him, I mean, he is light years ahead of me. So areas that I thought were were white under this new scrutiny of the Lord are gray. And areas that I thought were gray are black. So I'm in a continual state of repentance this past year. But I do want to be like him. And so in Romans 9, verse 1, Paul says some disclaimers because what he's about to say just doesn't seem truthful. It seems so far-fetched. He says, I'm telling you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief. Unceasing grief. Think of that. In my heart. For I could wish that I myself were a curse, separated from Christ for the sake of my brother and my kinsmen according to the flesh. Now think about that for a moment. Paul was caught up into the third heaven. He probably has a more, more accurate picture of what eternity is going to be like 
uh, than anybody else. But he has such a burden for his own kinsmen to know Jesus Christ. So he says in this, in essence is what he's saying. He's saying, I would gladly go to hell if it meant my brethren would go to heaven. Can you think of that? It's kind of like on a much higher level, I would gladly go back to C-Dorm if it meant Larry McFarlane would get into E-Dorm, which was a much better place. But here's Paul saying, I would be willing to be separated and accursed from Christ for all eternity if only some of my brethren would come to know Jesus. He makes another statement in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, I've become all things to all men that by all possible means I might win some. Maximum effort, knowing it's going to reap a minimum amount of result. Let's turn over to Luke 16. Luke 16. Starting with verse 19 and, and in my notes that are back at my house in, in Louisville, one of the things that I discovered is that Jesus talked three times more about hell than he did about heaven. And it is, and he has to use picture words to describe it because there's no words to adequately describe the horrors of hell. He uses words like where the worm never dies. He uses words like gnashing of teeth, uh, of utter darkness. And in this parable, this story that he tells, it gives a great picture it says this now there was a rich man he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen joyously living in splendor every day and a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table besides even the dogs were coming and licking his sores Now the poor man died and was carried away by angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. So there's some words here. He's in Hades, he's in torment, saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue for I am in agony in this flame. Now, one of the things that you can grapple, extrapolate from this passage is just how bad it is is by what kind of request that he makes. He asks, for the minimum. All, he doesn't ask for a glass of water, doesn't ask for a cup of water, doesn't ask for a thimble of water. All he asks for is a damp finger. And all he wants to do is to touch his tongue because in that millionth of a second, 
in the midst of all the agony and torment that he is in, he will get some kind of reprieve, even if it's a millionth of a second. So he's hoping he can get at least that. And then it says, But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony there. And then he says this, And besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none of you may cross over from there to us. In Scripture... So it says there's this great chasm fixed, and then it gives two reasons why this great chasm had to be fixed. And in Scripture, one the reason that's listed first is always the primary reason. And then the second reason is secondary. And so he says there's this great chasm, and it's fixed. Besides all that, we can't do it. Because they're great chasm fixed so that people that are over here in paradise, people that are over here in comfort, can't go over to you who are in agony and in torment. And then he says, and so that those of you that are over there in torment can't get over here into comfort and the paradise. Now, here's the question you have to ask yourself when I read this, and I've shared on this to a degree in the past, but here's the question you have to ask yourself. Who in the world would want to leave comfort, leave paradise, and go over into Hades where there's nothing but torment and agony? Well, I would. If my son was over there, I would if my daughter was over there. I would if my neighbor next to me, Van, who I've been working with for the last three years, and I love him dearly, but he doesn't know the Lord, but I'd want to go over there. I mean, I would, but I can't. No one can because there's this great chasm fixed. But here's the challenge for all of us. Though there is a great chasm fixed on that side of glory, there is no chasm fixed on this side of glory. There is nothing keeping me from going into somebody's hell now in order to bring them into my heaven. There's nothing hindering me. Now is the time to be willing to go into somebody's torment, go into somebody's agony, go into somebody's lifestyle in order that. Remember, we're not to be of the world, but we're definitely to be in the world. What I have is so much more powerful and greater than what the enemy has. I am not afraid of people's sin. The enemy counts on the fact that a lot of Christians say, well, I'll start talking to him when he doesn't have a beer in his hand. Well, he's never going to have a beer in his hand. He's always going to have a beer in his hand. 
But you can't wait. One, <clears throat> let's go to one other scripture in Revelations 20. I want to show you this revelation I got from this. And me and my pastor have talked about it. And he says I am somewhat on good theological ground. But in Revelations 20, starting with verse 11, this is the great, this is the judgment. How many of you believe this is going to actually happen where we all stand before the Lord? And the book of life is going to be opened up. It says, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon her from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found in them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Books were open and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them and they were judged every one of them according to their deeds then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire this is the second death the lake of fire and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life he was thrown into the lake of fire so this just happened all right I'm there, I hear my name, you know, that my name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, Jim Newsom. So I'm, hey, whatever your name is, we are not thrown in the lake of fire. How many of you know that's exciting? Oh, but then look at verse, chapter 21, verse 1. So that just happened. I'm, I'm sitting there and my name was called from the Lamb's Book of Life. And then it says this, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Now, I'm going to stop right there. How many of you are, my name was called, I'm already excited, and all of a sudden, new heaven, new earth, God comes down. I mean, we should be celebrating. The, the worship team should be up there you know, cranking away. I mean, we should be doing a little jig. I mean, hey, everything we've ever been promised, it's happened. But watch what God has to do. The first thing he has to do upon arriving on the scene. We are not celebrating. We're not dancing. We're mourning. Because we just saw somebody that we knew whether it's a family member, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's a co-worker, we just saw them thrown into the lake of fire that burns forever and ever. We are crying our eyes out. Thinking, man, why didn't, why didn't I, why didn't I do something? Why did I allow my insecurities to keep me? Why, why didn't I go when I should have? When I, you know, we're sitting there, because it says, when he arrives, he'll be among them, and he will wipe 
every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. And there will no longer be any meaning, any mourning or crying or pain because the first things have passed away. Now the key to this, we're crying and God wipes away our tear. The Greek word there implies, and this is where I'm on good theological ground, is that God blots out the memory. If my son's there, I could never enjoy eternity. Never. I don't care how great it is. If my daughter or or some of my friends, there's no way, just like I couldn't enjoy Edorm knowing Larry McFarlane was still over in C-Dorm, I just could not enjoy that. Now I'm in eternity, so God in his mercy comes down and he blots out, he wipes away the memory that caused the tear and the mourning and the pain. That would be the only way. Now here's what I want to tell you. I don't want any of my memories blotted out. I don't. There's no chasm fixed this side of glory. Now's the time to go, obey the command to go, own the cost of going. Again, the cost isn't what it's going to cost you. If you ever put that into the equation, you're not going to go. You're just not. You're going to find some reason it's going to cost too much, and you're just not going to go. What you have to focus on is if you're going on the mission trip, what will happen to those people down in Mexico if you don't go? They have an opportunity with you going to tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ, to go down and serve them, lay down your life before them, whatever it means. So we own the cost of going, but it'll open to us a celebration. How many of you, when you, when you got saved, were beside yourself? I mean, it's what Bob Mumford used to say, that we were from the order of the silly grin. I mean, we're just happy and we don't even know why we're happy. I mean, I could save and go into prison and, uh, you know, and tell the truth. I'm joyful. You know what my nickname was in prison from the white population? I already told you what it was from the black. It's Smiley. People are always saying, what are you smiling about, Newsom? You're in prison. I said, no, I'm not. I'm in Christ. But what happens is when you get saved, you know what happens? You get in on the celebration that is happening as a result of you repenting. I mean, the angels are dancing a jig. You know, there's more joy in heaven. I mean, oh, did you ever see any of those commercials on TV, you know, where these people are calling in and everything, and then finally they got one sale, and everybody in the background is celebrating. Hey, one person. Don't watch TV anyway. And I'm going to close with this. Jesus left heaven. He pursued sinners. He paid the cost so that he could party. He wanted he, he wanted to party with people. It says this in Hebrews 12, that because of the joy 
that was set before him. He endured the cross. And here's what you want to, he said, I got to go through that in order to get to the, all those celebrations that are going to happen as a re, me, as a reason of enduring that. So that's the joy. And that's what anytime God tells you to do it, the only way you're going to endure it is think, all right, there's going to be joy on the other side of this cross of something that I have to pay for. There's going to be joy in such a way that I'll be so glad that I paid the cost. Let's stand together. <clears throat> so here's our challenge for today. I am so grateful that a 17-year-old girl left the comfort of her home and came over into an environment where there was drugs, uh, adversarial, no one liked her, and she came in. She paid the price so that she could share the good news with me. And uh, she endured that because she got to the joy. I want to tell you on on the other side of every cross, and the cross is what we have to pay in order to bring some people to the Lord. I promise you the joy is well worth it. So I'm going to ask you to do something like our Lord. How many of you want to, I'm going to ask you for hands, say, Brother Jim, I, like my Lord, I want to pursue some sinners. Raise your hand. All right. The Lord sees that hand. Don't I? I'm going to be gone. I won't know if anything. The Lord allows us ministers to do the teaching, but he does the testing himself. So, and and how many of you that are start pursuing, because there will be a cost. You, a lot of times you don't know what the cost is until you get into the pursuit. How many, once you're in the midst of that pursuit, say, I'm going to pay that cost? Come on. Not as many hands. No, I'm just teasing. And then last but not least, if you do those two things, pretty soon it's going to be party time. Amen? Father, I lift up these people to you. And I'm asking in the name of Jesus that you would help us. We all have a sense that time is short. Lord, we have neighbors, we have co-workers, we have people that we run into on a daily basis at grocery stores and all of that. And so, Lord, we're asking, just as, as the Father sent you, we're asking that you will send us. Send us with, uh, plant, send us with power, send us with insight on how to how to pursue, Lord, in such a way as it'll come a place, time where we'll begin to willing to pay whatever the price is, so that we can get to the party, uh, Lord, of the celebration of their lives and souls being saved, Lord, and they are not going to be sent into the lake of fire that burns forever and ever, Lord. We ask all these things. In Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen.